I want you to think right now about your siblings. Think about your siblings. Up there you see a picture of me and my siblings. I'm uh, the shortest, the youngest one, but I have uh, two older brothers and an older sister. And uh, when you think about your siblings, if you have siblings, think about all the times that you struggled with your siblings. Siblings definitely can bring struggle in your life, right? They can bring arguments in your life. Uh, It's hard because you're supposed to share with your siblings. You're supposed to be nice to your siblings. But siblings come with struggles, but siblings also come with lots of good things. There, there's, there's probably a lot of endearing things that you have with your siblings. There's th- times that, that you enjoyed. They were, they were your built-in playmates at times. And sometimes your siblings even can come to your rescue. Your siblings can come and they can help you out in certain situations. Now this story I'm about to tell you is not an endorsement. It's a historical fact as far as my uh, third grade mind can remember. Not that I have a third grade mind right now, but this happened when I was about third grade. All right, that makes sense? Okay, we'll go. So my sister was on the school bus in junior high. She was riding the bus home, and I think it was junior high. It might have been fifth grade for something like that. She was on the school bus And there was a boy that lived down the street from us, and he was picking on her. And that's my sister right there. You see my sister, she's about Sydney's size. She's not not the the biggest uh, person in the world, but she is tough. And so this boy that was picking on her, my sister had enough, and she beat the boy up. The boy goes, and who knows who was picking on who, but anyway... The boy gets beat up by my sister. He goes home, and he was embarrassed about what happened. I don't know if he had a shiner or or whatnot, but he he tells his brother that my older brother, my middle brother, Jason, was who beat him up. He was afraid to tell his brother that he got beat up by this little bitty girl down the street. And so... This guy's older brother, who is older than my middle brother, goes down to my house to beat up my brother, Jason. But he's met at the door by my oldest brother, Shane, and Shane beats him up. <laughs> like I said, not an endorsement. The one sweet future preacher is not doing any of the beating up. I'm being good. Sometimes your siblings can bring you trouble, and sometimes your siblings can rescue you, right? Sometimes they're the ones that are going to come to your rescue. What's interesting is we don't talk about it a lot, but Jesus had siblings. He was the son of God, but he also, or is the son of God, but he also has these earthly siblings that were raised with him. And scripture talks all about these earthly siblings. And at least in their mind, Jesus brought them a lot of trouble. He brought them a lot of trouble. And it tells us about some of the trouble that that Jesus would bring his siblings. And there's a story that Matthew tells. 
early in Jesus' ministry, as Jesus is coming to his hometown and healing and telling the good news, and he's going to bring a little bit of heat on his family. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, it says, Coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in the synagogue. They were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. At first they're uh, pretty, pretty excited about the miracles that he's doing, but then they're saying, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Maybe telling us how to live our lives in his teaching. Isn't this just the carpenter's son? Don't his brothers and sisters uh, live amongst us? Aren't they just normal people that live in this small town of Nazareth? Have you ever felt like you had to take up for your sibling? If your sibling was doing something a little bit strange, I know uh, uh, Dane and Sydney are finally in the same school right now, and so I don't know if, if they find that strange to be in the same school. Uh, 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 but, but sometimes, if your sibling acts like a weirdo, brings a little heat on yourself, right? So what do you say when, when your sibling's acting weird? What do you do? Sometimes we take up for them. Sometimes we say, look, they're just crazy. They're crazy. And you know what? That's what Jesus' brother said about him. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take custody of him. They tried to take him away because they said he was out of his mind. His family was okay with him growing up. I'm sure they thought Jesus was an incredible brother, but then whenever he starts saying that he can heal people, when he starts saying that he can forgive people of their sins, when he starts elevating himself to God status, they think he's a little crazy. And in some ways, who could blame him, right? What if your sibling started talking like he was the son of God? You might raise your eyebrows at that. So in some ways, how do we blame them? In other ways, how are they missing what Jesus is doing, right? How can they miss these incredible things that he's doing? These are brothers and sisters that were raised by Mary and Joseph that were given good teaching. They should understand what the scriptures are saying. They're well-versed in the Scriptures. They should know he's not, no, he's not an ordinary brother. But I think three years goes by and they probably start to get fed up with it and then after about three years, they start ridiculing their own brother. John chapter 7 verse 2 says, But as soon as it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't be famous if, you're, if you hide like this. 
If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even Jesus' brothers didn't believe him. It goes from saying, my brother's crazy, to my brother is now bringing so much heat on us. People are starting to look at us like, like our whole family is messed up. Why don't you just get out of town? Why don't you get out of here? I don't know if they knew what they were doing as trying to send Jesus to his death, but they knew the heat was being brought on them and they did not believe what he was saying. Like I said, there's some ways we can agree, we can see why they wouldn't believe that. In other ways, how can they miss it? But then everything changed. There was something that they could not stop seeing. They could not, they could not see and not make their life change. And that's when they see their brother put up on a cross. Murdered before all the people of Jerusalem at the time. And much more than that, they saw their brother who was murdered on a cross brought back to life. And I think this is one of the more powerful things that we have as, as to why we should believe this story because you have brothers that went from not believing in their brother to brothers that were believers, devoted, and willing to give their lives for his cause. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Christ died for our sins, just as, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He was seen by His brother James and later by all the apostles. See, Jesus' resurrection was no secret. Over 500 people witnessed Jesus return in the 40 days that He, he would return to this earth after his, after his death and resurrection. And one of the people that He appears to is His brother James the oldest son of Mary and Joseph. He would appear to him. And James went from not believing to being a believer. The resurrection causes us to change our lives. Not just salvation, but it causes us to change our lives and how we're going to live our lives. And that's what James did. James went from being a non-believer to being, as Paul would say, a pillar in the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you see all the believers gathering together and, and it says, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection changed everything. They can't just see this, that Jesus was raised from the dead and not change their lives. 
Matter of fact, they change your life so much that, like I said, James is a pillar in the faith. Often when you hear about the, the, the elders in Jerusalem, the leadership of the church, James is singled out among everybody. Acts chapter 21 verse 17 says, When we arrived, it's talking about Paul, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day Paul went to meet with James, the brother of Jesus, and the elders of Jerusalem were present. James was willing to change his life so much that what Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes in 62 AD, he was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. His brother, but more importantly, his Lord. And so as, as James was a leader in the church... It's kind of interesting to look at the, all these scriptures that we have here, but all they had was the Old Testament to go by, and Christianity was just getting started, and they needed people to tell them, you know, what do we do? What does it mean to change? What does it mean to have salvation in, in Jesus Christ? And there's all these new believers, and so the first book that was written in the New Testament is written by Jesus' brother James. That book was written anywhere between three years after the resurrection to 12 years after the resurrection. And this book is an incredible book written to believers, people that have already put their faith into Jesus Christ, that have already been baptized into Jesus Christ. And now he's saying, you don't need just to have salvation, but you need to change your life. And the whole book of James is how you change and mature and grow in your faith. And it starts off in James chapter 1, it says, James, the servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. I like how James starts his book off. He doesn't list himself as James, the brother of the Lord, although some... some uh, uh, some passages will say James, the brother of the Lord. James doesn't say that about himself. What does James say? He says, James, a servant of God. Actually, actually he says, James, the, the best definition would be a bond servant of God, which means, as we sang the song, Pierce My Ear, if you know the background of that song, when a slave would have his ear pierced, it was after they were freed by their master. But the slave didn't want to leave his master. The slave wanted to voluntarily be put under servanthood to his master. And so he would go to the doorstep and have his ear pierced. And that shows that he was a bondservant. He was a slave that voluntarily cho chooses to serve their master. And that's what James is saying right here. He's voluntarily serving his Lord, his brother. Jude is another brother, brother of Jesus. We read about them. His name was Judas in, in Matthew. And he writes a very short book in the Bible. And how he opens his, his, uh, his scripture is, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. Both of them knew that they had this earthly brother, but they knew, even more importantly, their brother was the Son of God. 
And what they wanted to do was make sure that everyone knew they were servants of the Most High God. They were servants of their Lord, Jesus Christ. And so James is going to tell us how we can change, how we can mature, how we can grow in our faith. And his book starts off so interesting. It's it's almost doesn't even make sense how it starts off because uh, it, it, if I as I took I was a communications major in college and one of the things they'll tell you in your communications class if uh, you should never say do you want the good news first or the bad news first you should always just give the good news first right that's how what they say you should always do to soften the blow of the bad news I guess well James starts off with some good news but it's good news that seems a little strange to us he says in James chapter 1 verse 2 consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't seem to really go well together, right? When we think of our trials, we think of our troubles. And how can we find joy in trouble? That doesn't quite make enough sense. How can we be joyful? How can we be glad How can we find joy in our trials? He writes, this is a letter that's written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. What's going on in the Jerusalem church? The church is so new. Most of the people, there aren't many Gentile believers yet. Paul hasn't gone on any missionary journeys yet. So all of the things that we had talked about this past summer, that has not happened yet. It's these Jewish people that are facing, Jewish Christians that are facing persecution, they're scattered around. But what's neat about this letter is it's not written just to one particular city like some of the things that we were reading this summer. It's written, written to all Christians scattered among all the nations. And so it's written to us today just as much as it's written to them. But these people are scattered. Why? Because they're going through some hard times. They're going through some persecution. And James says, consider it pure joy when you face these trials. When you face these troubles. This last weekend, I got to experience Friday night lights for the first time with with Dane. And Caleb was there as well, yeah. And it was all right growing, growing up, uh, watching, watching him grow up and play some football and everything. But when you're on varsity, I look at these kids on the field and they look like grown men now, right? They're strong. They're big. And when we had that opening prayer as a father, I get a little more nervous now. Knowing that my son has to go against some grown men. So my prayers are a little bit, little bit more, more prayers, right? I remember watching Sydney in gymnastics when she was a little, a little girl, and, and I, I just couldn't even watch it, her doing these flips and everything like that. We get nervous as parents, watching our kids grow up, watching them be sent out into some tough times. But what's interesting is God allows us to be scattered 
God allows us to be in this world that has trouble. God allows us to be in this world that has sin. And I think that's because God loves us so much that He's going to let us live our lives. He's going to let us go out there and face some of the troubles because He's going to tell us these troubles are going to make us stronger. These trials are going to help us. And the reason that that he, He loves us is because He created us. He created us to experience all of this. And so as I send my kids out to do their sports and stuff like that, I pray and I make sure they wear helmets and make sure that they, uh, they, uh, they, they do everything that they're supposed to do safely and then allow them to live their lives because that's what we're supposed to do. What's interesting is James doesn't call the struggles of this world troubles. He calls them trials. It says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I said troubles because often that's how we see our struggles. We see them as troubles. But James says trials. And what is a trial? What's the the difference between a, a trial and a trouble? You see, a trial is something where we hope And we have faith that justice will prevail, that truth will come out of it. While we might not like going through the trial, in the end, if there is true justice, then we will find truth and we'll get our justice, we'll get the answer we want. This last January, I noticed that our air condition was kind of on the fritz well it was the air and the heater both of them were both of them were going down and we have a home warranty company for this very reason because we knew our air condition when we bought the house was was uh was over 20 years old and we thought all right we're going to just keep this home warranty because one day we're going to have to replace this air conditioning unit And the problem was the inside unit was bad, but the outside unit was still good. And so the home warranty company was only going to pay for the inside unit, which was still a pretty good deal. And they said it's going to be $1,000 to replace the outside unit because you had to replace them both together. And the wording to it was kind of interesting. They said, all right, you've got to pay $1,000 to get this new unit, and then you're going to have to pay the, the, and then you're going to have to pay the repairman $1,000. And it says the total cost is going to be $1,000. And so my mindset was, all right, am I paying $1,000 or $2,000? And so I call the, the, call the warranty company. I said, all right, it says, it's kind of worded strange. Do I pay $1,000 or $2,000? They said $1,000. I said, all right, because it looks like it could be 2000 They said, you're only paying 1000 They get kind of angry with me saying, you're only paying 1000 I said, okay. So I called back because I knew, all right, I don't know if that's right. I called back again. They said, you're only paying 1000 I said, good deal. Not that I have to pay $1,000, but it's, I like air condition. So well, when they come and do it, they said, no, it's $2,000. And I don't have the money budgeted for $2,000. And so... I had to put that on a credit card, and that wasn't good because I was ready for pay 1000 
And I started fighting them in this. And then, and then they said, no, the employees were wrong. We'll reprimand them, but there's nothing we can do about it. And I said, that doesn't seem right. And so I took these people to court. Not really. I took them to arbitration. That's what you do. And I argued my point. And in the end, they said, we told you wrong, but that's what we told you. And so they gave me my $1,000 back, which I immediately paid that credit card. We like when justice prevails. And what happens is, when justice prevails, when you go through a trial, what you're going to see is the truth will come out. And the trials that we face in this world are going to bring truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that God created each of us to be his sons and his daughters. And when we've put our faith in him, when we've been baptized into him, when we have given our lives to him, we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, the creator of this world. And when we go through trials, that shows if we're truly the sons and daughters of the Most High King, based on how we handle this, or are we really frauds? Are we not living up to the standards that God has for us? And so James is an interesting book because James doesn't have to, doesn't dive into grace uh, too much because he's already talking to believers. He's already talking to people that are saved, but he's wanting you to realize if you are saved, if you are believers, if you've been given this grace, you've got to change how you live your life. If you really want to look like the sons and daughters of the creator of this world to be the true princes and princesses of this kingdom of God, you need to change how you're living your life. And he is going to say, all this life, these struggles that we go through, these are trials. And so James chapter 1 is going to talk about how we go through these trials. And it's going to talk about ways we can do it the wrong way in ways we can do it the right way. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how we can, as a church, as children of God, grow in our faith, mature in our faith. Because what he says is in the end, when we go through these trials, in verse 4 it says, let your perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. That's the mature faith that he's telling us to to get. A mature faith means that we don't lack anything. It shows that we're living exactly how God wants us to live and we can live a life with joy when we go through these trials and come out on top. Come out showing our Lord that we're living our life for Him. That just like his brother James, our lives are changed. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to be his follower. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can do that today. You can be just like what, what, who James writes to is these, these Christians scattered among the nations. And you can be baptized into his death and, and raised in his resurrection. You can get salvation. But if you've already done that, Now it's time not just to stay where you were, 
but it's time to grow. It's time to mature and have a faith that's, in some versions we'll say, perfect and complete. And when we have this faith that's complete, we will have joy. If there's anything we can do for you, please come while we stand and sing.